Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor here at Guns on Pegs. As per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Chris, I've had a week off, I'm feeling fresh and we are another step closer to freedom. I'm feeling good. We are, George, yes. Uh, so so the pod- this podcast comes out next Wednesday, so that's the 19th. So the pub's open on Monday. So by the time that this is released, working from home essentially becomes working from inside the pub, doesn't it? What do you think? Yeah, and we can all have a cuddle. We, we're allowed to drink inside and cuddle. It's a date. <laughs> we'll, we'll ask our guest in a second if he wants to join us. Well, on that note, Chris, why don't you tell us who's joining us today? Indeed. So for this episode, uh, we're, we're joined by one of the most senior, one of the senior men in the shooting world, really. Um, we, we never set out to discuss serious topics on this podcast uh, but we're on a bit of a roll. I think we've almost done three episodes in a row of like seriousness, which is very not us. Uh, but basically, the feedback's been really good. Our listeners have found them really insightful, uh, so no pressure here. Our guest today was a brigadier in the British Army, so he's a he's a very senior guy. Don't get on the wrong side of him. Um, is a life has a lifelong passion for field sports, uh, and he's now chief exec of the largest organisation in shooting, the British Association for Shooting and Conservation, or BASC, as it's better known. A very warm welcome to Ian Bell. Brilliant, thank you both. That's uh, very kind. Um, one of the worrying things about Zoom calls is I was invited to a pint in a pub and then told, come along, but before pubs are open. I can't run away from a Zoom call like I could in the pub. And having just been invited to a cuddle, I'm, I'm quite pleased I'm doing this by Zoom. I mean, I'm, I, you're both great people, but I, I'm a bit nervous now. But but the beer I'll have all day long. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was always it was always our plan to record these podcasts in a pub where, um, when we first started talking about it. And I, so, and I drew um, the short straw. You get it during yeah, lockdown. Thank it's, you. It's a lucky escape for you. Um, but it's really, really good to have you with us. I was going to say, I don't, I don't know if it's just me before we kick into this, but, you know, Ian, this whole world at the moment, you you guys seem particularly busy. Would that be a fair assumption of the sort of situation right now? Yeah, God, I... Um... I was looking forward during lockdown to do that, you know, sort of classic working from home thing, bit of DIY, bit of uh, <laughs> tending the garden. I'm getting that age where that's interesting. A um, lot of walking the dog, but there's a there's an amazing amount going on. So having a beer with you guys this evening is uh, is 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 great. It's a it's a welcome break, work related break from um, from what's going on out there. Well, yeah, I mean that's exactly how we find it as well, isn't it, Chris? So I think on that note. Ian, I'm going to ask you, what's that you're drinking? Oh, right. So I'm I'm drinking a uh, Plain Ales, which is the brewery. And the beer is Sheep Dip. Uh, it's run by a mate of mine. It's a small brewery on Salisbury Plain. Um, he doesn't give me a big enough discount, but his beer is, is, is wonderful. And I'm drinking it out of, given I spent so much time in Germany, I'm drinking out of a St. George's or St. Georgen Brau. Uh, Keller beer Stein that I am. Um, yeah, come, come, I was on actually on a shooting trip in a beer keller in southern Germany. Saw that it was St George's, so ha- had to had to buy the Stein. So the combination of Salisbury Plain beer and a German St George's Stein, spot on, I reckon. A lot of army connections going on there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Sadly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I won't pretend. <laughs> uh, George, what are you drinking? Mm. Sorry, I was actually having a drink. Um, well, you remember, Chris, uh, last season, last series, um, I mentioned that a friend of mine had bought a pub uh, just before um, yeah. the first lockdown. Uh, 
Ouch. Uh, and I had one of the the beers from the the on-site brewery there. Uh, now, on my week off, I went to his pub and sat in the beer garden there, and it is absolutely fantastic. And I took the opportunity to stock up on a case of uh, a mixed case of the beer from the brewery there. Um, unfortunately, I haven't got very much of it left, so I'm on my last bottle of the Cheriton Porter, which is very nice. And in case I run out, and I'm getting quite close to running out already, um, I've got a glass of whiskey behind me um, as a backup. Remind me, Cheriton Porter, Cheriton Bishop? Uh, no, the so the original beer is uh, the Flower Pots, um, which is the name of the pub, Flower Pots IPA. Um, and I've had various other ones. I've had the, I think I had the golden. Where is it again, though? Oh, the the village is called Cheriton. Okay, fine. And 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 the reason I'm saying this is that we've all gone for sort of Southern England beers. The beer I've gone for today is called the Blandford Fly. Oh yeah, and it's <clears throat> quite a very well known beer because it's won a lot of awards. But it's a beauty, uh, and it's got a lovely lovely picture on the front of someone fly fishing. Uh, it's from from Badger, uh, the, the Badger Ales. Um, brewery. Uh, sweet and spicy golden ale, but it's got another little story on the back, so I thought I'd read it to you. So these guys are based down in, uh, well, near Bradford Florham, I think. Um, so a bit of shooting country, not a million miles from from, from where yours is from, uh, Ian. So it says on the back here, don't just take our word for it. Ask any fisherman and they'll attest. It's not only the tickle of trout that bites on the tranquil river stour at Blandford. Should you wade these waters on a warm summer's night, beware the infamous Blandford fly, whose bothersome bite can only be soothed with a spicy slice of fresh ginger uh so yeah that's what i've got it's quite nice isn't it that's very nicely written i like that um so yeah i've, I've only got one of them though and we keep making that rookie error so this will disappear quite quickly i've got to say i slightly expected when you invited me for a pint and we couldn't get there i've, I've been waiting for that um that delivery which is a sort of a, a six uh, bottles or 12 bottles of Guns on pegs, special beer for me to. I I, I didn't read the small print. Said you've got to buy and bring your own. Terribly sorry. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to lie. In I thought when we started doing this feature, people would start sending us drinks, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it is literally a bring your own party, but hey ho, COVID. Actually, full disclosure, I didn't pay for the beer I'm drinking now. <laughs> yeah, so um. I think at this point we should get on and do uh, our next segment, which is Whose Bird Is It Anyway? Now, Ian, this is the segment where we ask our listeners to send us in shooting dilemmas and queries and confessions and questions and all that sort of stuff. So this one's a little bit different from usual, but I can't think of a better person to ask it of. So this one, we don't need to keep them anonymous. So I can actually name the correspondent this week. Uh, So this is from Matthew Logan. And he's written, my friends and I are starting a small syndicate on a local farm which belongs to one of the members in North Northumberland. There's a huge wealth of information on the internet to help us set up our rules. However, what I've been struggling to find is inspiration for the more fun rules that will result in fines, monetary or liquid, i.e. if you or your guests turn up without a tie or are inappropriately dressed, you'll be fined for the kitty and made to have an extra drink at the close of play. So in summary, would you be able to help out with some ideas and maybe get some audience participation to help us set the rules? So I think this is quite good fun. So who's got who wants to go first? He wants a list of fines for the syndicate. Yeah. Exactly, so, yeah. So that we literally fleece everyone 
no matter what happens. Well, yeah. you, I, you, so I think the first thing is you've got to know the characters involved. Um, and so there's some, obviously some general stuff, but you know what each character is and you know what each character does. And so you make their obvious character traits or their obvious behaviour or their inability to actually let the money go when they're pretending they're tipping the keeper, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. You make all those finable. Yeah. So every time someone turns up, they have to actually really work hard not to be themselves because by being themselves, they get fined. And inevitably what that does, that ends up with a massive kitty um, for the end of season shoot, lunch, supper or whatever. And you regale the stories about how, you know, X couldn't stop being obnoxious and B was always late and C always took his bird or, you know, there's always someone who turns up, they've never got quite enough cartridges, have they? Yes. Um, and, oh, no, look, I brought my 20 ball cartridges and I brought my 12. Can anyone? Yeah, all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> so it is about knowing the people you shoot with to get the best result, I think. I think you're absolutely right there, Ian. And, and you, you can all think of, like, I, mean, I went to this little syndicate and, you know, there's the guy who turns up who's just particularly loud and effing this and effing that during the middle of the drive. So it's just a prime excuse for, like, major fines for that guy for you know swearing during the middle of the drive out loud on the peg you know that's the sort of thing that you'd apply there like a like a tantrum fine yeah definitely so a pick the fine is you you, you've nailed it one in uh and then you've always got like the small bore guy you know the one that will bring along the 28 ball or something like that you've got to find him just just for being him (laughs) especially when you know there there's some great guys who turn up the 28 ball and Sadly, they actually normally very. Doesn't insurance. matter. He can be fine. But but equally, <laughs> those who just bring it along and don't hit anything, and that's oh, that's a worry, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, Chris, you've shot all over the place, lots of different shoots. You must have come across some some good finds. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, the the thing is, the finds gravitate towards the birds, don't they? Uh, and the, and the best ones are where everyone gets fined, essentially, if a white pheasant is present on the shoot. <laughs> Yeah, irrespective of what happened to that white pheasant. Uh, so that, those are always the ones which certainly make you scared. What I find most awkward, though, is when I get invited by someone terribly senior and a lot wealthier than me, uh, and then they dish out their own version of the fines at the start of the day, and it'll be, oh, okay, so we'll just have a light, you know, £100 if we see the see a cock pheasant on the first drive, and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> I'm not tooled up with enough cash for today for this very kind invite. But obviously, because it's an invite, you can say absolutely nothing about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I haven't... Um, I, I, I remember... Um, I think I think my dad might have mentioned it last series when we talked about it, but... Um, on the shoot where Guns on Pegs came from, the guy, a uh, chap called Eustace Crawley, for some of our listeners who may have met this uh, awesome character, uh, he used to fine, but if he didn't feel that the fine was strong enough, just send you home if you weren't shaven, clean shaven or wearing a tie. Uh, and and obviously, I think, again, like Ian's alluding to, he just didn't, if he didn't like the look of you, this was his excuse. You're not wearing a tie, off you go. <laughs> but it and was, I think that's I one of the good things, isn't it? Is, um, Rather than having a whole set of laid down fines at the beginning, of course, it's very good to have a few uh, base rules. But if you have a couple of people who are responsible for the fines, and it largely depends on the mood they're in on the day, who they think is, you know, doing whatever, um, and just sort of give them the freedom to get on with it. Because uh, there's, there's there's nothing more creative than just allowing some of the freedom to, to, to crack on at will. And it, it ends, ends up being extremely amusing. 
I think I think yeah. I, I mean, to, to reiterate what Chris has said, I think that that and what you have said, Ian, if if you look at the characters and look at their foibles and their traits, and then design a, a fine for each individual, you can be pretty confident that you're going to get them every time. Mm. Uh, and therefore you'll have a nice big kitty there maybe is a little bit extra so they can slip to Basque perhaps at the end of the season um, that kind of thing <laughs> um, yeah I think that's a but I think you know we, we've we got to throw this out to the listeners as well haven't we Chris so um, yeah, if indeed. you're out there and you've got a particularly good example of a fine that, that you that runs on your syndicate or that you come across drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and uh, we'll share it in the next episode or so and you'll get a set of podcast garters for doing so yes. if we read it out, which Ian is going to get a set of, the most exclusive gift in shooting. Which I will be promptly fined for the next shoot I turn up on. Indeed, Definitely. because we've now said it out on air, so your syndicate will be listening, and then they'll be like, right, we'll create a fine for the most obnoxious garters, in which case... <laughs> or, or, or I'll be fined for wearing them because they are, as you say, I'm sure they're delightful garters, but probably, oh, no. as obnoxious. you say, obnoxious. And if I don't say <laughs> then I'll be fined for not wearing them. So um, it looks like I'm about to get fined. <laughs> so, 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 so I bought my own beer and I get fined. Fantastic! I'm coming again. <laughs> um, we're we're doing we're, we're going to do a bit of a live one at the game fair. So don't worry. We'll set this. We'll that will be in person. We'll get it all set straight then. We'll look forward to it. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I think what we need to say is that when Matthew sorts this all out and he's got his fines list sorted, can he email it into us so we can know exactly mm. what's happened? I think we need to know. Yeah, um, but good. So David uh, Cross has been in touch from Down Under. Uh, and he says, I recently discovered your informative podcasts and thoroughly enjoyed listening to them over the past few weeks whilst commuting on the train over the Blue Mountains. Sounds lovely. It came as a pleasant surprise when I looked at your website earlier today and I noticed that you've already commenced with the third series. As a shooting expat, it's great to keep abreast with, of the situation for conservation and shooting back in the old country, even though the situation may not be as rosy for guns, rough shooters and wildfowlers as it was when I left the UK to live and work in Australia a number of years ago. The most exotic place that I was lucky enough to go shooting with a group of friends was a cattle station in tropical north of the Northern Territory of Australia to hunt buffalo and wild pigs. You just have to watch out for the crocs, he says. <laughs> if I'm lucky enough that you decide to read my email to your listeners on one of your future podcasts and that I potentially receive an invite to your game fair party, I would not be able to attend the party due to overseas travel restrictions in place over here in Australia because of COVID. Therefore, after, list after listening to the podcast um, on the third series where we were chatting with Andrew at the GWCT, may I propose that if I were to receive an invite to your party, could you auction or raffle it off with all the proceeds going to a deserving organisation. Oh, what a good idea that is. I like what he's done there. I mean, yeah, David, no question, you're invited. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but actually, I think we'll go one better. How about this, Chris? What if we offer up four tickets to the podcast party at the Game Fair? Yeah, I like it. And four pairs of garters. Oh. And we'll auction them off so people can send us their bid, pod at gunsonpegs.com. And the tickets will go to the highest bidder and 100% of the proceeds will go to the shooting cause of the bidder's choice. What I like do you think it. about that? So you've created four tickets, four sets of money can't buy garters. So they're worth what, like 100 quid each anyway? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like a reserve <laughs> price. <laughs> 
So this is four tickets to the coolest party of the year. No one's been to a proper party for, what, 18 months. So by the time this happens. Yeah. And four sets of podcast garters. Bids in, please, guys. Yeah, yeah I like exactly. this. Ian, do you want to open the bidding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'll throw, my, I'll throw my garters in so there's five sets. <laughs> Ian you're, Ian, you're trying to devalue the garters. There's another fine for that. No, 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 no. Sorry, I just don't think I'm worthy of them. I didn't mean to, to come across like that at all. Gosh, I apologise. Crikey. As they say down under. Um, right, pod at gunsonpegs.com. Bids for yep. four tickets and four sets of garters uh, coming to the game fair. So, Ian, by the way, this party is on the Saturday night of the game fair. Are you going to be there? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, it depends if I get invited or not. Well, you are, and you've got to be wearing your garters. I'll be there. I'll be there. Perfect. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so if you want some of these garters, if you want to be at the Game Fair with us, um, drop us an email. We want your confessions. Let us know where you've been listening from. Like Chris said before, your uh, fine ideas, all the stuff that we've been doing all through the previous series, you all know how to get in touch um, and uh, the kind of thing that we're looking for. So pod at gunsonpegs.com. So, I think it's about time we uh, had a bit of a chat with Ian. Chris, do you want to kick things off? I do. I mean, we sort of alluded to it at the start. I, I, I want to start with asking, well, I feel like, well, for a start, we haven't seen each other in person, Ian, for a long time. We're usually at various different events having a catch-up. And there's been so much that's happened, really, since COVID started. And we've all been at our desks, just at the grindstone, just getting things done. We've had some major issues to address over the last couple of years. I'm thinking general licenses, phasing out of lead ammunition started, COVID and the rule of six. That was a that was a hair-raising day. Uh, the releasing judicial review from World Justice. I think those are probably the biggest four that I can think of. Um, let's start with that most recent one because uh, the releasing, the review into releasing on special protected areas, there, there was a verdict, wasn't there, like literally yesterday or today on the situation there? Well, not, not so much a verdict. It was a, it's a decision. So, you know, background for the listeners, judicial review, Minister, Secretary of State deciding to act, slightly different, I mean, some quite interesting changes in direction as this all, all went on, um, and potentially some really concerning constraints upon that that we that we do on protected sites um and it was painting quite a worrying picture at, at the outset for for sure um and what we've just seen literally in the last 24 hours are the details of, of releasing and we'd said from the outset that if, if you firstly we don't think this is necessary there's a perfectly sound consenting regime um, out there for release on protected sites. So that should be run properly by Natural England. It should have all the right stuff in it and people should be releasing in accordance with that. And that adding the buffer zones, as they've done, um, they wanted, you know, there were great talks about much larger buffer zones, which, quite frankly, the, the science and the evidence didn't stack up. So inevitably a whole raft of discussions about this, behind closed doors, out in public, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the organisations engaged in it, working really well together, you know, four, six voices, sitting around a virtual table, 
all saying the same thing. We didn't think it was necessary. Let's get the basis for the decision. Because the decision was made by the Secretary of State quite quite early on. Um, and it was quite punchy and slightly different to that that we all expected. Uh, he discussed that after the event with his MPs, which was which is a good opportunity to get really detailed points across. And we were keen that whatever he did, he didn't stray from the GWCT uh, release guidelines. Um, there had to be logic for that, that, that any logic applied to buffer zones was sound and understandable, but that the system has got to be easy to use um, and that there's a sunset clause in it because actually one of our key points was there's no demonstration of damage. That it wasn't demonstrated that that damage was occurring, and and we made it abundantly clear that if you release in accordance with GWCT guidelines, actually no damage. It's all great. So it it might be worth just outlining then exactly what the new guidelines do say, what the new licenses do say, so what's actually happened. So the the new licenses now relate to and literally. We're, we're pouring over them as we speak. So they've got release densities uh, for pheasants. Any foot applies to pheasant and red-legged partridges. Release densities for pheasants and um, densities for red-legged partridges over the area of their uh, of their of their habitat. Um, and that's being presented in a way that people haven't necessarily seen it before. So inevitably, we're pushing. We're in the process of drafting. The whole FAQs, how to apply it, how to do it, how to um, how you how you work in this environment. Um, one thing I would say that the general licences, uh, as they stand now, will be reviewed each year. Uh, Natural England has to conduct a review within three years uh, in order to provide the evidence that is required to continue this um, this current this new system. Um, and the sunset clause, I when the whole thing has to be reviewed is four years' time. So really new, detail still pouring over. Um, and I'll just reiterate that the work done by BSC and with our partner organisations, and that's really important, has seen us get to a place where, yes, we do have uh, the odd concern, but has seen us get to a place whereby the wholesale change in what we do wasn't backed up by evidence um, has not materialised. So that's a good thing. Uh, indeed, and it, so this this work that you guys and you've all spent a lot of money on this as well, haven't you? As organisations, I know that you've had quite a lot of cash has gone in, like literal cash, not just not just uh, staff time uh, to fighting this. Um, but w- would you say, therefore, that this is almost a success because the actual intention that World Justice had has pretty much come to nothing? I mean, there is a small change, but it's not not come to much. It's absolutely a success. It, it, it really is. And, and one of the reasons we've been able to do that is as interested parties um, in the case itself means that you can you put your evidential pack together. And of course, we put a really sound evidential pack together. And that is considered while the judicial review is being heard. And that got us into a place whereby we're in the position we are now. So it, it is a win. Mm. Um, we still don't think it was necessary, but we're not in a position whereby uh, we're going to go all out and, 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 and say that we haven't won because we are in a strong position. 
I mean, World Justice are always going to be a thorn in our side whilst they continue to take the tack that they are taking. But it does seem to me like they are just starting to become a little bit hot air and naggy. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you saw the their, their verdict from the, their analysis has just come out from the, the Sainsbury's buying up of game and testing that for lead <laughs> shot. And, and I looked at it and I thought, well, well, so Wild Justice uh, buy up game shot with lead and say that lead is in it. This is this is their announcement that there is lead found in game shot with lead, and I just, you know, it's like, well, what are you talking about? Um, th- there's been you know advice on that for ages, and I, I just sort of, it's kind of like by any means they're trying to cause havoc, and it's just surely people are starting to cotton on to that. I think it is by any means, and I think when you look at the agenda, people out there who don't know much about shooting, don't know anything about wild justice, etc., will we, we, look at some of the points that they're trying to raise, and they might go, oh. There's something in that. But actually, when you look, when you dig deeper, these points are anti-shooting and all anti all the good that shooting brings. So sustainable game shooting, we all know the benefits that that brings. We all know that people spend far more time doing habitat conservation um, than they do actually shooting. And one of the things that is really sound is that we have that ability to pull significant evidential packs together to get them if we have to into the courts so that they are considered and judged appropriately and we've seen several of those this year there's been the one that we're just talking about there was one in wales and 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 our position has been really strong throughout i mean it's one of the reasons why bsc for example we we looked at our reserves and said right we are going to earmark just over a million pounds which is our legal and shooting fighting fund so it's to be used proactively and defensively in order to fight for shooting. And, and it allows us to bring the right experts, the right information, the right detail to court at the right time or to put it out there in the public domain such that we can counter some of these. But more importantly, we be proactive. And hey, if some of the evidence comes up and says you need to change because what you're doing is just not sustainable, well, everyone that I know who shoots is a conservationist. And and we look at it and go, is what we're doing acceptable? And we take really sensible views and opinions on it. And I just looked to, you know, BSC's patron um, passed away, ripe old age, fantastic patron. But, you know, during his lifetime, the things that he did from his shooting, hunting and conservation background, really impressive. And And what I like to think is that the, the modern version of that uh, shooting and conservationist is in all of us. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so Chris touched on what the topic of my next question already, um, and I suppose in a way so did you. So I'm just going to put my hard-hitting journalist hat on for a second. I don't often wear it. Um, a lot of people, thinking back to February last year, a lot of people were quite vocally angry with how the news of the proposed lead shot phase out was released. Looking back, do you feel like things could have been handled a bit differently? Do you think, do you feel like there's lessons that you, you've learned from that? I think, uh, you know, when everyone looks back at things that have happened, of course, there's a way of doing it differently. Of course, there's lessons to be learned. I mean, I would be entirely wrong of me um, not to say that, but could it, have been handled with any better effect? I really don't know because 
the view on lead is so varied. There are really strong views wherever you go. Yeah. And why was it done? It, it was done in order to prevent legislation coming down the track being done to us. It was done because the organisations thought it was the right thing to do to future-proof sustainable game shooting. And, and it's about transitioning as much as we can on our terms rather than on someone else's terms. Now, it, for those who watch um, various political elements that are ongoing in Europe, which still leak over here, and um, with various hazardous chemicals um, and hazardous substances uh, campaigns, it still may well be that we're told that we are going to have to change even before the end of this transition. But doing something internally, transitioning at our pace, is, is the way that we believe will future-proof sustainable game shooting. Now, you are going to get a whole raft of people who come on this and say, he's wrong. And, and I accept there are a lot of different views out there. Yeah, I, I think that um, hindsight is obviously always a bit of a gift. But I think in this particular situation, if we look back, it was absolutely the right thing to do to address it in the fast action way that was done. Because if anything, since that verdict... The, the, the transition period has actually potentially allowed us more time than we might have otherwise had. Certainly the European Chemicals Agency are working to a tighter timeline, I believe. Uh, so we've actually, by doing that, given ourselves longer. I think that my, my view on this is always like, if we think 20 years ahead, are any of the practices we're doing now going to be the same in 20 years time? Or would they have been outlawed or changed or been done differently? If the answer is the latter, we need to be doing that now. Mm. And I think that the, the lead debate is such a divisive one, as you've outlined. Um, but quite frankly, we have no choice. We've got to start moving away. I agree with you. And, and organisations are asked to provide leadership in certain areas. And leadership isn't always immediately popular. Um, and, and it is about that. Look, I... I when I do presentations and stuff, I've got a photograph uh, that I put up and it's two kids in a field with their backs to you. Um, you know, one's got a stick. They're probably about, I'm quite short, <laughs> sort of chest high on me, so I don't know how old that makes them. Um, and one's carrying a pheasant. And, and the first question I ask is, who are they? And, and people, you know, don't really, obviously, no one knows. Cause, and I said, well, they're my as yet unborn grandchildren. And... And, and I want them to be doing that. And I want them to be doing it in a way that's acceptable to them. And I want them to be to, to be doing it in a way that's acceptable to society so that we are, we, we've got that social license. We're in, we're part of, of, of what is here in, in the UK. And, and we do it in the right way that makes their grandchildren able to do it. And that's what we're aiming for. And genuinely... This, as I think, as you say, Chris, it's, it's bought us a bit more time. It it allows us to transition in a way that uh, we can control elements of it, and and it also demonstrates to those who really think about it that actually we can control what we're doing ourselves. We will do the right thing, and and what what amazes me is that organisations who sort of oppose us, 
we could use world justice or we could use, I, I, I mean, I don't want to go into um, external organisational, uh, I mean, outside of shooting spats here. But, but what's interesting is that we are doing something that they have never achieved. We are going to make a change. And yet, privately, they might say, oh, well done. And I'm not, we're not doing this for that. Hmm. But publicly, it's, oh, no, it's not enough. It's not quick enough. It's this, it's that, it's the other. Oh, no, come on. This is actually the, the most fundamental change. You're not going to please the way, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, that's not what we're here for, but it, it, it's, it's a fascinating insight into how they're op- they operate. That when you look them in the eyes, they're actually quite taken aback. But they can't quite bring themselves to go. Oh, I wish I'd done that. Or, yeah, that is that is the right thing to do because we all know it is the right thing to do. I think that you make a really good point, which is about the social license, and it's about you've talked about the sustainability of shooting, um, and it comes down to demonstrating that shooting can self-regulate, yeah, and uh, and is willing to do that, and that is what will prevent legislation being foisted upon us from on high. And and social license is the key key point in all of this. The the ability for us to be ex, you know to do what is accepted by others essentially, I think, is probably a, my awful attempt at a definition of it. But 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 um, the problem there is that the outside world or the rest of the world is changing so fast in terms of the way that you know the rise of veganism, uh, you know how you know animals in themselves. I mean, we'll, we'll get to sentience in a minute, but um, but but. But, you know, it's changing so fast. We've got to change as fast in our own terms. And I think that's probably, to some, what's causing an issue here in that the shooting world, if you pick up a copy of the shooting times in 1985, they're debating lead. And that tells you everything. You know, it's 2021 and we're still having it. <laughs> it does. And, and, and the other point is that one of the ways you get social licence is if is, is as you've just said, it's about demonstrating that you do the right thing and it's about fighting the right fights. So if we have elements that are absolutely bang in and we know, we absolutely know that we should be doing that in 30 years' time, yeah, then we just demonstrate that, that it's absolutely, absolutely the right thing to be doing. But as you say, um, that's been discussed for as long as. Yeah. Okay, right. Well, I've got, I've, I want to change tack slightly and talk about something a bit more up to date, uh, something that nobody was thinking about before March last year, really. Um, And specifically, the dreaded C word, COVID-19. We were all desperately waiting last year, every time there were changes to what was and wasn't allowed under the restrictions. And I'm thinking especially about the the rule of six exemption. Um, I imagine that that took a fair amount of behind the scenes work in the corridors of power. Can you just give a bit of an insight into exactly how you managed to get shooting permitted when those rule of six rules came in. Yeah, it, 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 you're absolutely right. It was a, a really challenging time. And, of course, it required individual organisations working at their very best and exploiting their context, and it required organisations working together. Um, some organisations absolutely can get into the corridors of power, some can't. But it, what it means is everyone getting out to their members and us all agreeing what we're going to do. Um, and, you know, initially you remember that shooting wasn't covered in any way, shape or form. And we knew that because we were having the discussions behind the scenes. And 
the Department of State that looks after sport, etc., DCMS, surely doesn't come under them. And they said, well, they don't come under us, so so therefore uh, it, it, we're not we're going to not going to list shooting in the in the outdoor activities. So there's a whole raft of stuff of examining the rules, getting really quick legal advice in some cases, speaking to senior police officers who work at the national level, speaking to senior politicians, uh, ministers, backbenchers, etc., um, and speaking to civil servants that say, to say, look, this is our interpretation of what you're saying. And this is about COVID risk. So are we any more risky doing X, Y and Z than football or rugby, whatever? And it's about the COVID risk. And that's how we approached it. But it did rely on us trying to pull all those various strands together so that the police weren't going to interpret a different way. A politician wasn't going to say, well, that isn't what we meant. And often that had to be done within, well, sort of under 24 hours. So it was frantic, frantic communications, really quick on tap legal advice, et cetera, in order to get to a position whereby we can do this. This is what we agree. And once we'd, once we'd started that at the very beginning, and it happened before the Rule of Six, actually, because as people were coming out of lockdown, it, you know, things like, well, people were allowed fishing, but you weren't allowed deer stalking, or you weren't allowed walked up shooting. Well, why are you going to catch COVID deer stalking on your own when you're not um, on a riverbank? It doesn't stack up. Um, and, and so we'd forged that ground there, which meant when it came to the rule of six, it was much easier because th- that system was set up. But what was interesting was the response was, so if someone stood up and said, and you saw it on the TV, I want to play indoor netball when we could only do outdoor activities. I want to play indoor netball because we're better indoors and we don't like playing in the rain type thing. And I'm not picking on netball, um, any sport. It could be indoor cricket, indoor hockey, whatever. Um, they didn't get a hard time because the view was that's an increased COVID risk. They didn't get a hard time at all. It was sort of, oh, yeah, well, why shouldn't you be allowed to do that? But shooting got a hard time because it was shooting. Nothing to do with the COVID risk. So absolutely we'll have the political arguments and, and what have you about whether shooting's acceptable or not. But let's not try and shut it down when you're looking at a, a risk of a of a, of a, of a disease, uh, a virus, and its transmission. Are you more likely to catch COVID conducting sensible outdoor shooting than you are playing rugby? Simple question. Um, and, and some of it did go... Some of these discussions did go um, to the government scientific advisors who who looked at this and, and of course, they, sent, they, they looked at it purely in those terms. So long answer, short question, heck of a lot of work in a really short period of time, but very joined up. And as soon as you approach that, it's about the COVID, it's not about the shooting. Um, it worked. But then, you know, there was all that stuff. What was the one about something about school children feeding ducks or people eating ducks? I can't remember. <laughs> well, it, 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 you can't it, it, take 15 school children to to, yeah, to go and feed the ducks but you can take oh, six people to i don't know well i mean there's tabloids for you isn't it but i think you know, do that whole episode um i mean sometimes i find myself a little bit exasperated by the wider shooting community and their responses to things but i do think that in the light of the the hard work that you and other organisations put in, I do think that the shooting community, as far as I am aware, and we, we're all fairly well plugged in, did very, very well in making sure that they stuck pretty rigidly to the rules um, to make sure that all that hard work wasn't undermined. 
and that the, that freedom that we did end up having wasn't snatched away from us by some idiots, basically. I think you're right. I think people grasp how important it was. I think people, because it was new, people actually look to see what it was you can and can't do because it was a new experience. And I think you know all the organisations were putting out the same advice. The police were nailed on with it. And so, yeah, there might have been a few misinterpretations, but of course there's going to be misinterpretations, but you're right. I think people, ever, everyone understood that if we get this wrong, this could be, you know, we're not having a season. And so I think it worked very well. I think it worked, well, no, more than that. It worked outstandingly well. I mean, you t- when you were describing that, taking me back to how stressful last year was, you know, these last minute changes and us not knowing and the implications for shoots and for people that had spent, you know, it's livelihoods on the line. It was so serious and really stressful. And I, yeah, it, it, it did make me think. I think you're right, Chris. And, and, and what's funny is we often get time to prepare organisationally what we're putting out because we work closely with government and regulating agencies that we can prepare and help our members. But in this case, we couldn't. And there was a great cry from, we've got to put something out today to our members. And I said, no. We can't put anything out today. We've got we've got to improve on what is out there. Yeah. So although we might be behind the curve slightly, let's just tell people we're doing our interpretation and we will make it better such that you understand what's going on. And that's really important, I, I think. I totally feel your pain there. I saw people on social media saying, I'll bask behind the curve here because some Tom, Dick and Harry said a few words that they haven't really had to think too carefully about and they th- they see that as advice. But Bask obviously can't put their name to that with a knee-jerk reaction, so go, oh, Basker a bit slow on the uptake, and you think, oh, shut up, do another one. But, yeah, I mean, that just thinking back to that episode, do you remember how much of a how much of a PR campaign it was for Octopush? Do you remember when they got lifted on? <laughs> yeah. What is oh, everyone, <laughs> yeah, everyone was like, Who, who's, who's allowed in the rule of six? Octopush? I'm taking out Octopush. Yeah, yeah. What, the, what the f*** is Octopush? <laughs> when you went down that list and... Um... <laughs> And there were times I'd just sit there and think, oh, God, the phone's going to ring, the emails are going, you know, there's the inquiries, why can't we do this, why can't we do that? And one of the biggest one of the biggest questions wasn't how can we shoot, what can we shoot, it's how do we do the dinner the night before? How do we do the shoot lunch? And um, I, I actually did pay for some legal advice around some of that, including transport and all sorts of bits and pieces. I think it's quite telling that that's what what you were getting asked about because we know from from what we what our members tell us that that's almost more important than the shooting for a lot of people. Definitely, <laughs> I know it is for Chris. That's why he likes going. So I was going to make the point. You're exactly right, and, and although that might be slightly amusing in in, in hindsight, but. You know, it, it cuts to the core of what, what we are about and what we do. And it, and for most people, it isn't going out there and just pulling the trigger. Yeah. For most people, it's the it's the social value. It's the engagement. It's being out in the front and seeing a year's worth of work coming to fruition or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so it's 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 really, really important. It, it reminds me, weren't we shooting together the night before the 10 p.m. curfew came in? Oh. <laughs> I don't. I, I, we'd laid that out and we'd worked it all out and we'd got all sorts of people there that we could all have all these discussions. And then you're right. I can't. I think you're right. I think that's what it was. But there was a rule change anyway that meant 
oh god how do we do this but the thing is we were like kids in a playground we we're like oh from tomorrow night you can't drink past 10 p.m so everyone was like oh tonight i shall drink past 10 p.m and it was like <laughs> oh, it, it was funny it was very very funny i mean at the time at the time it wasn't because i you know getting there and i think yeah. there was a change the week before as well and so we planned this for ages. The rule of six was the week before, and then the ten p.m. It was, was the, the rule of six, yeah. and we yeah. planned it. So how do we do it? What do we do? Um, and all of a sudden, a really great, relaxing thing turned into a quite a demanding exercise in COVID agility, whatever that is. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, there's, there's 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 one last topic on the on the big four from the last two years, which is the the general license debacle. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, it seemed like every man and his dog was suddenly an expert on the matter. Uh, certainly, if you if you looked on Facebook, um, and a lot of people were vocal in their criticisms of the shooting organisations. And I suppose so. My question here is: Do you do you sometimes feel that no matter what you do, you can't win? And that being a prime example. Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> we're a member organisation. We're member organisation. Our, our members our members have views. Of course they do. And their views need to be heard. And it, yeah, it can be a bit dispiriting when you put a great deal of work into something and, it, and it, it's come off and, and you get a kicking. But you, you get, equally you get, you know, well done, this is brilliant, et cetera, et cetera. And that's one of the joys of, of these sort of things. Um you know, don't come into this sort of job if you don't expect people to pick apart what what you're doing. And we can talk about general license and diesel if we want to, but you're you're absolutely right. The shooting community is a passionate community. That's actually where this comes from. from. <laughs> all walks of life. And it's a great leveller across Great Britain. It, it's just fantastic. Great Britain non Ireland, I should say, sorry. And and so we're from all walks of life. We're from all backgrounds. We've got differing views. We're all different political supporting, religious background, the whole thing. So, of course, we're going to have different views. I mean, that's one of the joys, isn't it, of the gun bus or the, or, or the, 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 the shoot lunch is that you spend your time arguing or fining or whatever you're doing with your neighbour. And, and 10 people at a shoot lunch, at least 20 different views on every subject. That's <laughs> <laughs> part of the joy, isn't it? It's true. That's it's so true. Very true. Wasn't Michael Gove Defra Minister at the time? Yes, he was. Am I right in thinking that you and Tim Bonner from the Countryside Alliance worked really quite closely with him over the whole general licenses thing? Yeah. We put all our information and various bits in, which was great. We had three red lines, and I can't for the life of me remember what the three red lines were at the moment. It was a long time ago. It is. Well, I'm not sure it's a long time ago, but quite a lot's <laughs> happened since. Um, and the we got a phone call, or I got a phone call saying, can you be in the Secretary of State's office at 8.30 or 9 o'clock tomorrow morning? I think I was in London anyway, and I phoned Tim. He'd had the call as well. So we got there, and I've got to say, you know, Michael Gove was a master of that brief. And we sat there with him, and I'm not joking, there must be about... 15 or 20 staff sitting around us. I'd love to know the capitation rate for that one hour meeting. Um, but Michael Gove was all over it. And from that meeting, we got what we got, which was in the end, I think a really impressive outcome. Um, and it was down to the fact that we laid out our piece really clearly he was a master of his brief. Um, and I'll tell you what, if we get that those sort of outcomes in the future, 
let, let's let's keep doing that sort of thing. So we do have these links, um, and they work very well indeed. So they're going to become even more important this year. I feel uh, I don't know. Uh, so we've got at the moment three animal welfare bills coming up in Parliament. Um, I think the first point, to my understanding, is that uh, three animal welfare bills is already a big win, as opposed to one. Um, and and that was that was something that uh, I know there's been a lot of work on from various different people uh, with ears of of, of Parliament um, because because I uh, I, know, and I don't know if you want to add anything to this but my understanding is that one animal welfare bill would have left us much more open to attack but so we've got three animal welfare bills which is animal sentience animals abroad uh, and and kept animals um, and I just just wonder if there's anything you want to add on this because it seems like certainly with the animal sentience one that the debate over animal rights essentially is 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 the, is the big focus for this year and 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 what impact might that have on us definitely a big impact upon us um and you're absolutely right three animal welfare bills are from our perspective definitely better than 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 just one that wraps it all up and um there was quite a bit of discussion and work in order to ensure that that that, that was the case and my greatest concern with these is that they can be used in a number of different ways. And to suggest that there isn't risk to what we do in there would be absolutely naive. Um, there is. A lot will depend on how it's interpreted. A lot depends on, on how it's actually put forward. Um, and, of course, the work from our perspective in briefing on this and trying to ensure that our views were considered pre-announcement um, has been going on for quite some time now, and it will continue. Um, and of course, the details are only just starting to be released now, uh, and that that's going to occupy quite a bit of our time as as we move forward, for sure, um, to try and identify the risks, get the right information to the right place at the right time um, so that it's considered in the right manner. Is it a case of people just keeping in the ears of their local MP just to make sure that shooting is represented? I think it is absolutely. So I think local MPs need to know, and local councillors, etc., need to know that there is a part of their constituency who is concerned about this and that they are sensible individuals who contribute greatly to the rural economy, the countryside, to the environment, etc. Um, and why do I, you know, people say, oh, you keep trotting these things out. We, we know this. Now, of course, we do. But there are a lot of people who don't shoot who just have no idea. I mean, even country folk who, who just have no idea that the, the, the concept of conservation and shooting people you know, sensible folk look at you, how do they go together? So it is about, well, back to that social licence. So it's about educating people that, so that people understand what it is that we do. And I'm not saying that we run out there with, you know, crazy campaigns, because I think the majority of, of, of our society, all they want to know is that we do things sensibly and sustainably. And we're not, you know, we're, you know it's that classic, we're, we're, we're walking with a light footprint or whatever, you know, that, that we are not causing damage unduly. No, and it's not causing damage where we go. We're, we are positive uh, on the balance. We're positive contributors. Net, the net is positive. And so, yeah, play your part in that. 
make sure your MPs know that you have an interest in this and uh, and educate them. It's one of the things that we do politically as well. So not just politicians. So you'll take we'll take politicians out. We'll explain things to them. We'll do it through constituencies. We'll take um, them out. We'll show them. We'll if they want to, they can have a go. But also their staff. You know, so the staff of, of MPs, do you know about this? No. OK, so we've got a network of people who uh, work in Westminster. Do you know about this? No. Would you like to come and see it? No. OK. Would you like a briefing on it? Yes, please. Oh, I will come out and have a look. We'll come out and have a look. This is what it is. So so, so they, they've touched it. They've smelt it. They can see it. And and it, their views do change. Mm. They really do. And and if people's got, someone's going to have a hard view and come and see it and say, that's the same, then no harm done. Yeah. You've really touched on what was going to be my sort of final question, as it were. It seems to me that one of the biggest threats to to shooting and, and our way of life, if you want to call it that, shooting, stalking, maybe even fishing to an extent, is the court of public opinion. Um, we've got very vocal opponents, in, and we've mentioned some of them. I'm not going to mention them again. Uh, they've got a compelling narrative. Labour have just been given a bit of a pasting in the local elections. I can see that if Keir Starmer wanted to gain some populist votes in ahead of the next general election, he might decide to have a go at shooting in some way. But we also know that the vast majority of the public are pretty ambivalent and until they're asked. How do you think that we and what's your organisation doing to sort of reach out beyond the shooting community and get that message across, the one that you've just outlined? Well, you mentioned the Labour Party. So we do quite a lot of work with elements of the Labour Party, specifically doing what you've described. And we particularly try and educate in a way that demonstrates that a genuine anti-shooting rhetoric or element in a manifesto is not a good... Of course, it's not a good thing for us, but it's an understanding that shooting, as we've just described earlier on, you know, it cuts every walk of life, every political background, etc., and a lot of people in, who who would or could or are be Labour Party supporters, we use that as the example, are shooting folk. They're country folk. They understand it. They understand the benefits. It's about getting the right information so they're making informed decisions. And hopefully we are influencing them such that they go, actually, do you know what? I might not agree with this, but it is sustainable. It is positive and be that positive in terms of rural economy, be it in terms of environment, biodiversity, etc. You know, it, it is positive. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, we haven't touched on, but I know you've had chefs on, etc. is that what a great source of wild food we produce. And as long as everything that we call it shoot, call it harvest, call it whatever floats your boat on whatever day, as long as that's going into the food chain, when people are making use of it, then why why wouldn't we be doing it? it? It's a genuine positive contribution with really healthy, great food at the end of it. And I get people object to what we do, and they're absolutely entitled to that. But let's keep let's keep hammering away at that. And and so I use that. I work with the Labour Party as an example, but it's across the political um, spectrum, and it's really important. The situation that that Labour have is a fascinating one in a way, though, because everything we've talked about have all been sort of direct political attacks at, at our way of life, and. I think that it seems to me that for Labour to win a general election, they have to get quite a seismic proportion of the countryside vote to actually win 
the number of seats required. Yeah. Um, so by continuing to alienate anything to do with the countryside, they're, they're almost creating a rod for their own back. So the work that you do to try and influence them and advise them that uh, this might not be such a wise idea. I think the question is, well, is it a populist vote to have an attack on shooting? I'm, I, I'm starting to question whether it is. I mean, I totally understand why it might, why it could be seen as so. But the countryside and the number of seats in the countryside is so vast and the number of people connected to shooting through one way or another employment, all the various things we know about, is so vast that maybe it's not such a clever idea after all. No, I think you're absolutely right. And the more people see it and they're presented the facts, they come to that conclusion. The other point that I would make, Chris, is that let, let's not make this, um, this isn't party political in any way, shape or form, but, but, but let's not be sanguine mm. about um, the current government either, because what we've been talking about over the last sort of 40 minutes or so are a whole raft of measures that are coming in from this government, a, a pro-shooting government, that that cause restrictions, changes um, what we do. And in some, it's, you know, in some of these cases, we look at it and go, well, we're not, we're not sure about the evidence. So, yes, absolutely, you're right. But the current fight is to keep existing politicians, local politicians, na- you know, local councils, politicians, national level of ministers, aware of all the things that you've just said about the rural and shooting community, because... We're seeing quite a lot of changes enforced upon us that we weren't actually sure, um, or we're definitely sure, are, are not needed. So, so let's not let's not be complacent. I'm certainly not complacent. I just think oh, well, it is hugely complex, as we've clearly outlined, and we we, we don't we don't want to go on forever. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think on that note, it's probably about time we started to wrap things up. So. Ian, the way we like to finish these podcasts is with a little bit of whimsy. And so we ask our guests to imagine their last ever day's shooting. Uh, Money's no object. Logistics don't matter. Uh, You can have whoever you want with you. You can go wherever you want, do wherever you want. So given that free reign, what would you go and do? Yeah, it's interesting that. And um, you did give me a bit of warning on that one. And so, so, so my most interesting that I'd like to rerun was um, shooting ducks in the middle of the jungles in Belize in some rice paddies, just because that was wow. weird. But it was a great night shooting. The one that I'd really, really, really like to run, I can just picture it on small family run shoot. I lost my dad a few years ago and I can it's just stuck in my mind. I, I can picture where he was standing. I can picture me by the water. Um, and, and that was just fantastic. But then I thought those two were a little bit self-indulgent, actually, because that's about me and great things that stick in my mind. So I think looking ahead, I want my kids to have that view that I had of me with my dad. And so I think, you know, my kids, 15 and 24, I think it's a day out with them. Either all of us have a gun, one of the dog or whatever, I don't know. And and probably on a actually a small family run shoot just up the road here, run by a mate of mine. I think you know it's a sort of a Christmas family shoot. I think one year we had fourteen pheasant and an absolutely outstanding day, um, and a great lunch and a great laugh and, <laughs> and 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 so so I'm going for that. I'm going for out with my kids, 
with with the wife. Great, a lot of friends. Um, small day, just fun and giggles. I love the fact that once again, the desert island shooting choice is something just entirely achievable. It's not like you give you give someone you give someone free reign on budget, location, absolutely everything, and they choose to go out the road with their family and friends. You know that's what that's what makes shooting so great. So basically, if you could have it any better, what would you do? Nothing. But but Chris, I do have to caveat that with you've invited me for a pint. I've had to buy it myself, so I thought I'm probably going to have to make this work myself. So 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 it's something that I can achieve, quite frankly. <laughs> I'm not going to lift this down. <laughs> I will buy you a beer at the game fair and you can have a beer. You can, you can have a beer at our, at our party on us. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> you know, you, you, actually, you can have a whole, you, I'll, I'll fill up a welly full of beer and you can have that just, just to yourself. That's yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> and I'll be fine if I can't down it in one or something. Yeah. Yeah. I've met your time before, Chris. You've been in the army. You can yeah. do it. Yeah, of course you can. That's why I said it. <laughs> Right. Well, I think that's a really nice place to leave it. Uh, Ian, it's been really, really interesting, fascinating chat. Um, It covered a lot of ground. Um, So thanks very, very much for joining us. Um, Chris, I don't know if you've got any final words. No, I just, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, really interesting to chat. And uh, after such a busy couple of years, we'll let you crack back on and go and get back to your very, very busy day job. (laughs) Hello, brilliant. Thanks. And thank you very much for the opportunity. Great fun. Thank you. Great. So before we go, as usual, as a final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Peg shooting sock garters, secure your invitation to the party by sending us your shooting dilemmas, uh, suggesting some good finds for Matthew to use on his syndicate. Uh, Let us know where you've been listening from, letting us know what you can contribute to the party. We didn't mention that this week, Chris. One final message from me as well, additionally this week, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast or any of our previous episodes, please do make sure that you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, Leave a review. Uh, It really does help us to reach more people and it also makes us feel nice. So uh, (laughs) please do that. Um, (laughs) Until uh, the next time, send us your correspondence to pod at gunsonpegs.com. And until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Was that all right? (laughs) 